0: Welcome to As We Like It, a podcast about adaptations of Shakespeare on film and, today, on TV. I'm Avon.
1: And I'm Mark. And I'm John.
0: Today, we will be talking about Season 1 of the Canadian TV show Slings and Arrows. And since this is not just a direct Shakespeare adaptation, I thought I would start off with a summary mostly stolen from Wikipedia, about what the show is, and a basic plot outline of the first season, which is six episodes. This will include the director and actors, so that we can have that as our basis for talking about it. So, Slings and Arrows is a Canadian TV series set at the fictional New Burbage Festival, a Shakespearean festival eerily similar to the real-world Stratford Festival in London, uh, Stratford Festival in Stratford, Stratford, Ontario, Ontario, near London, Ontario. Written by former Kids in the Hall member Mark McKinney, playwright and actress Susan Coyne, and comedian Bob Martin, and directed by Peter Wellington, the first season aired in 2003. The show's central characters are actor-director Jeffrey Tennant, played by Paul Gross, New Burbage artistic director Oliver Wells, played by Stephen Wumet, and actress Ellen Fanshaw, played by Martha Burns, who seven years previously collaborated on a legendary production of Hamlet. Midway through one of the performances, Jeffrey suffered a nervous breakdown, jumped into Ophelia's grave, and then ran screaming from the stage. After that, he was committed to a psychiatric institution. When the series begins, Geoffrey is in Toronto running a small company, Théâtre Sans Argent, on the verge of being evicted. Oliver and Ellen have stayed at New Burbage, where Oliver has gradually been commercializing his productions and the festival. On the opening night of the New Burbage's A Midsummer Night's Dream, Oliver sees Jeffrey on the news, chained to his theatre. Heavily drunk, Oliver calls Geoffrey from a payphone and they argue about the past. Oliver then passes out in the street and is run over and killed by a truck bearing the slogan, (laughs) Canada's Best Hams. (laughs) Geoffrey's blistering eulogy at Oliver's funeral about the state of the festival leads to him being asked to take over Oliver's job on a temporary basis. After clashing with an old rival, Darren Nichols, played by Don McKellar, Geoffrey is reluctantly forced to take over directing the festival's latest production of Hamlet. Making this difficult are Jack Crewe, played by Luke Kirby, the insecure American film star cast as Hamlet, Jeffrey's former lover Ellen, who is playing Gertrude and dating a much younger man, and Oliver, now hunting both Jeffrey and the festival as a ghost. Also in the play is apprentice actress Kate, played by Rachel McAdams, who finds herself falling for Jack. On the business side of the festival, New Burbage manager Richard Smith-Jones, played by Mark McKinney, is seduced by one of the festival's new sponsors, American executive Holly Day, played by Jennifer Irwin, who wants to remake New Burbage into a shallow, commercialized Shakespeareville, in the process turning the board against its chair, May, who suffers a heart attack or stroke and ends up in a coma. After various vicissitudes and crises, the season concludes with the opening night of a brilliant and successful Hamlet and Richard's repudiation of Holly. I suppose I should have said spoiler alert but Really. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that was rather long but I thought it was, it was good to cover off all of the basic plot points so right. that we could address them so Mark and I had seen this before and loved it yes Let's just be upfront about that
1: and I've been sort of an evangelist for this the show for a while now wanting everyone to see it so
0: <laughs> <laughs> so John this was your first introduction to it right
2: I had not seen it before. I had heard of it by title alone, and I loved every minute of it. I was, I felt robbed that I hadn't seen or uh, heard much about it before. This was so much fun. This was so good. Uh, the laughs. Uh, there was some, you know, heartstrings tugged as well, um, and I even I had to watch it too on very low quality on YouTube. And even in that low quality, uh, the performances really came across with just, you know, pixelated, w- however the person taped it. Um, I felt kind of bad that I didn't get to, you know, support the artists in watching it. But watched it, I did, and it was very good.
0: All right, and that's our review. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I've i been looking forward to talking about it because it is so much fun. Yeah, I I, I can't praise it highly enough mm-hmm. as a show just standing on its own.
1: It works on, on every level.
0: Mm-hmm. But I also think it's a fabulous show for people who love Shakespeare mm-hmm. because I think it does an amazing job of of opening Shakespeare up too.
1: Yeah. And one of the neat things is that over the three seasons, each one takes on one, a, a Shakespeare play and the behind-the-scenes you know goings-on always mirrors the, mm-hmm. the the themes of the play
0: which means that we get to see through the three seasons we're only talking about season one which is obviously hamlet but season two is uh macbeth Bath. and season three is king lear and so that means you get an exploration all of those and in fact in season is it season two or season three that also does romeo and juliet yeah that's right yeah one of them anyway so you get i think it's season two an yeah. exploration of of all those plays through their lens, yeah. So,
2: they weren't. They weren't ambitious at all. <laughs> but you make you, you make such a great point, though. It, it it really does open up Shakespeare to people. It opens up uh, the world of the theater too. I felt like Slings and Arrows was a love letter to the theater and also a send up of the theater. It it was a love hate in yes. relationship. And I, I was not active in the theater in my own life. I, I didn't do it in. Grade school or high school or university. I uh, was very curious um, if either of you were active in the theater and and how that that level. You know, you can be a theater dork. If you're a theater dork, you probably swooned over this 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 show even more.
1: Were either of you involved in the theater? I was in high school for sure. Yeah. So I was a bit of a theater dork back then.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, but you definitely were Mark. I, yeah. I I saw Mark in his plays, or at least in one of them. In one yeah. of them, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Before we knew each other. Oh,
2: that's
1: incredible. Uh, yeah, and it, it, it really it really does uh you know, if you know the the sort of background of the of the theater world, mm-hmm. it really does um capture that spirit so well.
0: Mm-hmm. And then there is the element too, even as someone who's not really a theater goer even, myself, because it is based around the Stratford Festival in Ontario, there are so many elements of the small town and the way the theater festival interacts with the town. Uh, And there's so much Canadianism in the show, which is really quite glorious for those of us who are not (laughs) used to seeing Canada on the screen in one way or another. Uh, so I really liked that part too. That it, it was unabashed in its.
2: I was happy I got the reference, the double double. Yeah, I, I got the yeah. double double. I was very proud of myself, you two. That was that was fantastic. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's lots of stuff they don't they don't try to hide the Canadianness of it at all. No, like it's yeah. it's in fact even played up by uh, what was it when when he says when Jack asks
1: oh if they have hash browns here yeah
0: exactly <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. <laughs>
2: And you know what struck me too was I think I think the show understands our relationship to Hamlet so well. At least season season 1 it it really opened up how the the, the cultural phenomenon that is Hamlet.
0: So maybe the way to start is by talking about sort of the conscious parallels that were built yeah. up because I think that's one of the great things about it is the way there's a whole bunch of characters who clearly are playing Hamlet like roles or yeah. roles like those in Hamlet.
1: And and one of the things that I really like about that is that there isn't just one Hamlet. Mm-hmm. There's multiple characters that associate are associated with Hamlet, multiple Gertrude's, multiple um uh Hamlet's father, mm-hmm. Hamlet senior, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, it is kind of I was saying sort of like a structuralist Levi Strauss reading that you could do of it. There are all these, you know, repetitions mm-hmm. of those pairings mm-hmm. paradigms paradigms you've yeah. got
2: obviously you have jeffrey Tennant, who is the the genius actor who breaks down during a performance of hamlet so his breakdown mirrors uh, hamlet's own breakdown is he is it real is he mad i think in the the the, the show itself were to believe that he is mad but at the same time over the course of the show, Oliver Wells uh, comes back like the ghost, who's egging him on, as you know Hamlet's ghost does. And the we can see Oliver like Hamlet can see the ghost, but the audience can't see Oliver. So we continue have to question: Is Jeffrey still mad, or is he a genius? That move, that trope, that device, that paradigm really it really brought the the Hamlet experience out of what is it like to actually see somebody be mad mm-hmm. and what is it like to see madness as a form of genius? Uh, that was, was quite well done.
1: And it's nice the way they, they sort of make fun of uh, the, the Ophelia, the girl playing Ophelia and her yeah. <laughs> rather pathetic attempts at trying to play madness as like being stoned. Uh, and, <laughs> and the way that he sort of takes that down
2: this staggering about with your mouth open was a quote i wrote down when when jeffrey can't deal with her performance anymore
1: yeah
0: <laughs> but when what that made me think of too was that when we were talking about the hamlet Brano's hamlet we were, we talked about that very thing how do you play ophelia and how difficult it is to play madness yeah because what might be real madness may not play well on stage you know it may not look good or be theatrical so you need this sort of theatrical madness but at the same time you need something a little more grounded in reality than than hers was and something that's not so very obnoxious to watch
2: and and thinking about I I thought about how it might have been hard as that actress I I don't know her name but how hard it might have been for the actress to act bad you know to how how do you perform
0: a bad actor you know there's just the
2: Shit, you know, obviously Hamlet is a play within a play. This was a this was a play, a play within a play within a play within a play. But it wasn't. It never felt overwrought or forced or to echo that truck too hammy. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yeah, it was so self aware too of what it was doing. And, and you know, the, when the when the actors' lives paralleled something in Ham, uh, in Hamlet or in Shakespeare closely they were aware of it and they pointed it out or or they made reference to it so it didn't feel like it was sort of layering it on and then winking at the audience it was that they knew that they what the the original relationship between the Paul Gross character between Jeffrey and Ellen yeah you know which was Hamlet and Ophelia and then he was betrayed by them and felt betrayed and went mad I mean they acknowledge openly that it was too perfectly like Hamlet, mm-hmm. you know, that it was uh, sort of ridiculous in its parallelism. So you don't feel like it's uh, too much of a coincidence. they they it's because they ag- acknowledge it themselves. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a moment when Richard, the businessman character, played you know very earnestly by Mark McKinney and Holly, the profiteering American who sort of turns him to the capitalist dark side. They go to Toronto a, a big night in the city and they go see a, pro- a production of mamma mia and they come out of the yeah. theater and richard says the dancing and the singing i understood every word and uh, it's hilarious but it's also so true because he's saying my god i spent all this time trying to understand everything about about shakespeare and trying to be so you know smart and cultured but damn it mamma mia this was fun because because i get it and you know that's contrasted to you know, that opening, that the, the one of the performances of A Midsummer Night's Dream where the, the minister of culture, uh, I, when he's not using his you know binoculars to stare at the bosoms of the actress, is is falling asleep. And then his wife is listening to a hockey game. Um, it, it really hits the nail on the head. Of-
0: I was just going to say that she is the minister of culture and he is the, the husband. The husband of the minister. <laughs>
2: Oh, she's the oh, okay. Oh, she's yeah, yeah. the minister. Anyway, oh, that's funny. That. But it's no, um,
0: but absolutely half the audience is listening to the hockey yeah, game. Yeah. In, in fact, they've all got the Leafs uh, in their earphones, and uh, instead of watching, that's
2: so yeah. true. Yeah. That's so true. How to how how the theater is? I, you know, recently, my my wife and I, before we left L.A., were uh, very kindly given uh, tickets to see the the, uh, the L.A. Harmonic Philharmonic perform some Beethoven symphon- symphonies. And the, I don't know if you've been in the Walt Disney Concert Hall, but it's a gorgeous space. The The maestro was amazing. The Beethoven 7th and 8th, I think we heard. But it was at the end of a long week, and I was very comfortable, and I was very relaxed, and the music was quite gorgeous. And I'm not going to lie, I caught a few winks. Um, and the, the way that the show was so honest about that uh, was was refreshing and we could all have a good laugh and the neat thing is it has too. the
1: opposite end of the spectrum with Darren Nichols production uh plans for for the Hamlet mm-hmm. is the most abstruse uh intellectual uh you know yeah. ridiculous kind of approach to the play not at all human and mm-hmm. not at all about the sort of basic understanding of of the you know, the characters and the motivations.
2: Well, yeah. his theme yeah. was he wanted to make something's rotten in the state of Denmark literal, so everybody yes. was very smelly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love Jeffrey's line to him. Darren, you hate the theater. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and when he introduces himself, he says, what does he say? Uh, I'm Darren I'm Darren Nichols. Deal with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's so fabulous.
2: Oh, uh, he's really good. It's, it's quite good. It's quite good. Um, but... The show makes fun of the theater in a loving way. Uh, but mm-hmm. there were moments, too, especially later on when Jeffrey Tennant, he begins as a, he's post-breakdown, he's a purist. The very opening scene of the show is him plunging a toilet. I mean, what an amazing yeah. way to open the series. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's plunging a toilet at a theater that can't keep its doors open, all for the purity of actual theater, in contrast to Oliver's very hammy, very kind of corporate, um, washed, you know, burnt-out, washed-up mm-hmm. theater stuff. But near the end of the, yeah. of the series, his acting advice, the way he really got into the characters and their motivations, I felt were very sincere. And I've read Hamlet four or five times now, but he unlocked the the characters, uh, their motivation, where they're coming from, in very powerful ways. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't think that the overall series is in any way a send-up of of theater it's pokes fun at the many things that are funny about the way theater works but its message if it has a message at the heart is that theater is vital and important and massive powerful and, and powerful and and that if done right it can speak to anyone and it speaks about things that are important and that shakespeare is crucial and wonderful and that not every production of Shakespeare and not every theatrical moment is gold or important, but that it can be and that it should be. That's what it's trying to say, I think.
2: And it, it the, the theater literally transformed people's lives. It brought yes. Jeffrey out of his funk. It made uh, Jack Crew and Kate uh, fall in love. It, it reunited... Um, Gertrude's character. I think her name was Ellen and uh, Jeffrey. And it it also buried the hatchet between Oliver and Jeffrey who had fallen, who had become estranged because of the theater. So it it transformed their lives. It was a very powerful message.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And summed up, I think, by the end of it, but maybe we'll wait uh, to talk about the sort of denouement. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to maybe just draw some fairly obvious parallels, but I think it's worth talking about who... Who is what character yeah. in, in what ways? And I think there's overlapping stuff. So, you know, obviously, Jeffrey, yes, is it was, did play Hamlet. And then it's the one who goes mad. And so he's Hamlet.
1: And he's trying to live up to what he's supposed to do. Yes. Right? That's that's Hamlet's
0: core, know, problem. core
1: problem is he's, he, can, can I do it? Can I live up to what I, is expected of me? What I've been, the task that I've been given. Mm-hmm. And he too, Geoffrey, is, is trying to live up to this job that he's been given. And can he do it? And he d- has the self-doubt. And mm-hmm.
0: and that's what starts driving him mad again, yeah. as it were. Like, the idea is that he is recovered, but it's getting back into the New Burbage Festival and be having these pressures on him that are possibly making him have another breakdown. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know whether he is or not. Yeah.
2: I really appreciate that description of Hamlet. I've never thought of Hamlet in the, those exact words, Mark, of Hamlet's crisis being, can I live up to what's expected of me? and the the show does a good job of that because Jeffrey's living up to how great Hamlet is in the mm-hmm. western imagination I, but I've never heard it articulated in exactly that way and that, I think that's, that's that's very insightful thank you for that
1: oh, thanks
0: <laughs> yeah and and he's trying to live up to Hamlet he's trying to and then he's trying to live up to himself, to himself he's trying right. to live up to his own Hamlet that yeah. you know that everybody keeps saying that was the quintessential Um, Hamlet it was the superlative Hamlet that everyone remembers and now he has to revisit it not as Hamlet but he has to make that happen again and that's terrifying Mm -hmm. and that I think is something that's not specific to the play Hamlet but is a very relatable issue that people have you know what if you get things success is as scary as failure because if you succeed brilliantly once what do you do afterwards mm-hmm. how do you follow that up S- success is terrifying and has its own responsibilities
1: well and it's like living up to his father i yes. mean hamlet is living literally in the ghost of his father
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then of course so that brings us to the fact that oliver is in his father the, figure the father figure hamlet senior uh, king hamlet yes king hamlet that's right king hamlet yeah so he was the director so that's a father-son relationship you know, already within an acting sense. And then he comes back as the ghost. Though he is, of course, also Yorick. Quite it's literally
2: Yorick too. <laughs> yes, yes,
0: exactly. And also I think figuratively Yorick to some extent because there's that, um I knew him since, you know, there's somebody from the old days.
2: I knew him well. He was a fellow of Infinite Jest, yeah. yeah. I love the way that I, I think Jeffrey eats like chocolates out of his skull. I, I Maybe one of you wants to explain what happens to... What, what Oliver's dying wish was.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know the whole, all the stuff about the skull and the, that little, those cameos with the uh, morticians. Oh, yes. Oh, the morticians
2: <laughs> were fabulous. My gosh. You'll do yeah, us yeah. up well one day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're just so, they were so perfectly pitched between ridiculous and morbid. Mm. It was beautiful.
2: You Canadians do humor. I don't know if anyone does humor like the Canadians do humor. <laughs> it's quite good.
0: It it was very Canadian humor. I mean yeah, that's part of why I, yeah. I adore it so much. It it it's pitched exactly at what I find the funniest, you know, in between slapstick and sarcasm, you know, there's a sarcasm to it, but it's not a nasty sarcasm usually, even when it's making fun of the theater, I guess that's what I mean by it. like it makes fun of the theater, but it's not uh, No, and it's not angry at the theatre. It's just, it's very Mm self-deprecating. And I mean, the people who wrote this are people who have been part of the Canadian theatrical, not just film, but theatrical scene Mm -hmm. forever and ever and are deeply involved in things like Stratford and, you know, we're involved with Drowsy Chaperone, uh, the production and the writing and production of that. So, you know, they know this scene inside and out and they're playing people that they know (laughs) they're playing playing themselves yeah 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 yeah. so you have oliver and you have the Hamlet, but then of course we have other hamlets
1: yes so jack crew obviously another hamlet Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah and he too has the same problem
1: living up to what's expected of him
0: yeah and the he his crisis moment comes when he's told what he secretly always feared yes which is that nobody actually expects very much of him in fact yeah that in fact everyone expects him to be awful and they just think, oh well, he's a superstar, a movie star, so he'll bring in the bums in the he'll, seats, yeah. and that's all that matters. Don't worry," says Richard to him. No one thinks you're going to be any good, but it's okay. You don't need to be. Don't be scared. And that's when he that sends him over the edge. Yeah, yeah. he loses his his cool yeah, completely. Yeah, he, he
2: disappears. He quits. But then, mm-hmm. but then Jeffrey finds his inner ham inner Hamlet. I, do you want to have an inner Hamlet? I mean, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> it brings well, him back. he finds.
0: Yeah, he he says. You you know, he's essentially saying, Yes, you are feeling what Hamlet felt and you can do what Hamlet couldn't do. You can live up to it. And I mean so does Jeffrey. Jeffrey lives up to it. And and one of the things about the play and compared to the show is the show has a happy ending. And the play doesn't have a happy ending.
2: Mm-hmm. Everybody dies in the end.
0: Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, Hamlet Hamlet does what he needs to do, but in a way you know, that too late and too, uh, after too much inaction and therefore dies. But in the show, they do find their way to move through the crisis that keeps Hamlet unable to act and they all find their action. They're able to literally act.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So then we've got other so we've got those Hamlets and we've got other l- people who play little bits of Hamlet, mm-hmm. I think along the way have moments of that kind of, I mean, Ellen has. That, to some extent, too. It's a different kind of fear she has, but she, too, has the fear of living up to the previous Hamlet. and for Yeah, her,
2: her own former glory, yeah.
0: Yeah. But then she also has her Gertrude moments of being sort of tied to the past, but trying to move forward.
1: But also, I think, sleeping with the wrong person.
0: Right. Because
1: right. that's, you know, the the Hamlet-Gertrude dynamic is... You betrayed my father. Right. You slept with another man. Right, and that is exactly the
0: the thing that drove Jeffrey, Jeffrey, that. Jeffrey mad. Yeah, yeah the first time.
1: She's got a younger boyfriend who
2: does a lot of dirt bike cycling. Uh, he's a he's a hilarious character. I mean, that line: "The za is getting cold," and she he gives. <laughs> He gives her a Game Boy on rehearsal night and then like a scream blow-up doll on opening night. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> again, it's so good.
0: And again, I think he's played so lovingly, like he's ridiculous. He's, he's ridiculous, and
2: but he's a good guy, yeah.
0: Yeah, but yeah. You, you don't hate him and, and nobody, you know, people, even when they mock him a bit, they don't really mock him. Like he never gets taken down viciously by anybody or anything like that, even though they all think it's rather ridiculous. There's no nastiness to him, but he's still mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And Even Jeffrey seems to kind of like him. Yeah, he th- well, they, they, they sort of treat him like, you know, the child he is, yes. but, you know, it's not his fault. He doesn't know all this stuff. Yeah. It's-
2: and then you have, I, I suppose you could find a, there's an element of Claudius and Holly, the, you know, profiteering yes. American. Yes. And there's an element of Polonius and Richard. I
0: th- uh, think. Yeah, I there's a bit of Polonius and Richard. I was actually looking for a Polonius character, so that's good because I wasn't sure who could be Polonius. It's
1: also a bit of Gertrude, I, I think. I was
0: going to say, I think Richard, Richard, though, mainly is Gertrude. Yeah, okay. He, yeah, he, he kind of gets Claudius.
1: manipulated
2: or...
0: Yeah. I think Geoffrey says this at one point when he's talking about Gertrude. But he says Gertrude is driven by lust. She She's driven by bodily appetite and she's unable to restrain herself she gives in she gives in to claudius when because she's driven by a bodily appetite and richard is driven by bodily appetite to betray in this sense i suppose the theater yes as that, the father figure itself. Exactly. yeah
1: yeah yeah the, the the sort of debasement of the theater is the the kind of betrayal that mm-hmm. you see a number of characters kind of make mm-hmm. including you could even say oliver
0: yeah oh absolutely yeah yeah and also um there's another figure, which is May, the chairman of the board. I don't remember her last name, but May, uh, the older lady. Richard is, in a sense, driven to betray her because they, they, uh, Holly is betraying her and Holly ousts her from the board. So that's your Claudius and King Hamlet. So, in a sense, May is also a King Hamlet yeah. who is, you know, the power figure who is politicked out.
1: And becomes kind of a ghost when she goes into a coma.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, is killed by mm-hmm. Holly's inaction by Holly's Shakespeareville. action
2: <laughs> I, I I'd go to Shakespeareville and I'd just yeah I
0: know. <laughs> well and, and of course that was a bit of a dig at Stratford itself yeah. because I mean Sh- right. that the the town is not Shakespeareville as shown there but it has its moments <laughs> you know <laughs> where,
2: where it hams it up a bit too much
0: yeah I mean it, it's very aware that that is it's you know that shakespeare is its money cow yeah. money cow, cow. cash cow. cash cow. <laughs> money cow's
2: fine is that a canadianism <laughs>
0: it is now <laughs>
1: and i love Picture the fact guy. that uh, stratford had its jack crew keanu yes. reeves
0: <laughs> yes there was a Shakespeare a hamlet uh with keanu reeves in the 90s mm-hmm. and you know keanu reeves has this reputation he's a canadian actor and so that's different jackson was american yeah. but he was a hollywood actor hollywood who has a actor, reputation yeah. as a, a wooden actor and not being very good and relying on his looks rather than acting skills but his hamlet
1: was widely acclaimed yeah was really? Pretty, really
0: really good yeah, yeah. he to stratford and he played hamlet and was very good i didn't
2: realize keanu reeves was a uh, canadian
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just funny. We we always know who the Canadians are because we, (laughs) you know, it's a point of pride.
2: (laughs) Speaking of Jack Crew and Keanu Reeves, I have a question about Jack Crew's soliloquies. So, Mm -hmm. the the show played him up that when Jack Crew was actually delivering the soliloquies, uh, when he was finally you know letting go and becoming Mm -hmm. Hamlet, that everybody was kind of stopped and they stopped what they were doing and they were moved. I didn't really find his actual deliveries to be very good. I don't know whether there was an irony there or whether I was just being too critical. But, uh, you know, when he did his famous to be or not to be in the, in, in mm-hmm. the show, um, I wasn't floored. Were we, were we supposed to be floored? Or was that immaterial? Or anyone have an opinion on that?
0: I think I didn't find them, you know, blow, blow me away good. I think...
1: Or supposed to be realistic, maybe?
0: Yeah, I think perhaps what we were supposed to see was that what he was doing was finding a way to sound like, you know, not naturalistic exactly, but just, you know, sound like a real person, really talking and having real problems, and that that was where we're seeing Shakespeare shine, you know, that the artificiality of Shakespeare is being taken away in a real way, unlike Darren trying to take away, art, you know, mm-hmm. artifice by making everything horrible. Uh, so that it's not that his performance was necessarily transcendent in some way.
2: But it was, it, but, but you're it, right, it was very naturalistic in, in the way mm-hmm. that he was able to, 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 to read it as we would actually speak. That's a good point. Thanks for clarifying yeah. that. I, I think that's
0: an it. intelligible, you know, like an, an emotionally intelligible without being. Overly dramatic, and without mm-hmm. and without us getting some sense that oh, suddenly he's transformed into this like amazing Shakespearean actor because that yeah you couldn't
1: you couldn't have him do it as a very Shakespearean actor because then it wouldn't play
0: it wouldn't be appropriate like how would that have happened yeah. he's not he's not that how could he find that in yeah. a, in two weeks of rehearsal yeah. yeah but what he could find was a way of connecting with the text clearly enough that he could get it across and that. I think the idea is that that's that's what we find. That's what you know. Richard finds out at the end is that when you can actually understand, hear, and listen to Shakespeare, you are moved by it. As In as he way. was, he he was. Yeah.
2: he got stuck behind yeah, yeah. stage to kind of schmooze before the performance. And ended up being, enwrapped and and stood behind the curtain the entire time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there he's Polonius behind the curtain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <that's right. laughs> just True. for a moment. <laughs>
2: Nice, Nicely done. <laughs> nicely done. Find your Polonius. It's hash, <laughs> hashtag
1: find your Polonius. Oh, well, I was just going to say that has your favorite line, that scene.
0: Okay, yeah. So my favorite line from the entire season, possibly. Oh, boy. Drum roll, please. Uh, um, the guard. So the the bit parts all through the season, I think there are some bit parts that are just beautiful, like the morticians, like, you know, a number of other bit parts. But the guard, the security guard whom we see on and off and who's just great and it turns out to have, you know, directed plays back in his home country before he came here, etc. Uh, his comment to Richard, as he's watching it, he says, uh, you know, the farm I don't I don't remember the line exactly, but something like there's an old saying that the farmer should never name his pigs because it makes it too hard to slaughter them. Don't name your pigs. <laughs> as Rich as Richard's watching it. And it was just so brilliant because it was unexpected to me. Like, obviously the guard had been Seeing things and understanding things, and we'd already seen that a couple of times that he, you know, had clear vision of what was going on in a way that other people didn't. But it was such—it was so incisively perfect.
1: He totally knew but...
0: <laughs> that if Richard watched the actors put on the play and got attached to them, he wouldn't be able to do the betrayal of them that he was planning, mm-hmm. which even the actors didn't, because all this way through, um, because realize, yeah. Jeffrey wasn't going to the board meetings and because he had no idea about Shakespeareville. As far as we can tell. No. And right. like the actors and, and Jeffrey just thought um, Richard was sort of this bumbling, annoying business guy who was irritating. But they had no idea of this coup being planned.
2: Yeah. And he, and he's, and he stands up to Holly in the end and, and closes the yeah. door on her.
0: Yeah. Because his pigs have been named and he's unwilling to slaughter them. And, and he's transformed by it. Yeah. His conscience has got. So that comes back to them as Claudius and Gertrude. Because now we see the play's the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. The play of Hamlet becomes the play within the play, like you were saying. And so that play within the play then is performed for both Claudius and Gertrude. And just like in Hamlet, Gertrude is turned by it. Mm -hmm. Gertrude has the soul-searching moment after the play. She's the one who's like, oh my God, what have I done? But Claudius isn't. I mean, it's played differently depending on how you, you know... Stage it, but there's nothing in the text to suggest that Claudius, uh, he may he may recognize himself in the play. Yeah. But he has no change of heart.
1: No. Yeah. Um.
0: It, yes, he may be trapped by it, and indeed Holly is trapped by it. Yeah. She does end up, you know, her play, her machinations are revealed. Right. And they and they go wrong, but her conscience isn't changed. She mm-hmm. she doesn't react at all that way. But Richard does. So Richard is the Gertrude in that in that moment. Yeah.
2: I think you I think you two need to assign this show for your freshman <laughs> comp students cuz it is just ripe for yeah you know one, you know college 101 literary analysis.
0: Yeah. Cuz it's clear enough that you don't have to do like really you know they're not hiding these connections they're doing them very explicitly. So so it's it's clear enough to see.
2: But as if you've but as as you have unraveled You can start digging and find deeper and deeper roots in the resonances,
0: Mm -hmm. the rhyming events. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they are. They're rhyming events. That's exactly right. Yeah. They're, they're not perfect. There's no perfect analogies or perfect illusions. I mean, Richard is not always like Gertrude and there's lots of other stuff. We're focusing on the stuff that ties it to the Hamlet play.
2: Do you find any clear Laertes or affiliate characters? I can see elements in people. I don't think the play, I don't think the show was as much going for those ancillary Mm -hmm. characters as much as your Claudius, your Gertrudes, your Hamlets, and ghosts were. But uh, did you guys see any
1: Laertes or Philias anywhere? I suppose Darren is a bit of a Laertes because they literally duel.
0: True. That's true.
1: Uh, he presents a very confident,
2: swaggering, competing vision. Although Laertes in Hamlet is pretty. He's he's an all-around okay guy.
0: Yeah, there's not. But there is that um, sort of a brother rivalry between them too. True, yeah. yeah. Hamlet and, and Darren a little bit. You know, uh, not Hamlet, uh, Je- Jeffrey and Darren.
1: I wonder if, if Darren is also a little bit of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah. Hmm. Especially thinking of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead.
0: Well, yeah. The Rosencrantz and Guildenstern from a different perspective is uh, Cyril and yes, Frank, Frank? Uh, I don't remember their names, the, the, the two old, old hands, that, yes. you know, the old Shakespearean actors, the ones who sing the opening song. That great,
2: that great yes. number. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're always wise, they're wisecracking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're kind of the observers on the side who, mm-hmm. that's not really what was in and Kildenstern are, but there's that kind of um, external ob- pair. Yeah.
2: Obviously, we're uh-huh. Horatio because the audience is always Horatio. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah true, true. Um, Ophelia. I mean, it's it's a bit too obvious to say, but Kate. Kate Richard is, McAdams. Yeah. I mean, she's literally Ophelia. Mm-hmm. She steps in and becomes the Ophelia, and she is falling for Hamlet. Yeah, that's true.
2: She falls for Hamlet, and I guess I guess her madness of sorts is on the one hand when she is thrown into doubt about her love by uh, the original Ophelia, Mm -hmm. is she doing this because he's a movie star? Uh, And also her madness, Mm -hmm. too. So, uh, Avon, you had said before that in the actual play Hamlet, Hamlet accomplishes his goal, but in a very dark, literally uh, morbid way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here, Slings and Arrows presents a, a cheerier alternative in that people accomplish their goals by having the appropriate change of heart and uh, mm-hmm. i think with kate as ophelia you see her madness maybe in a positive way and that she's she's letting herself fall in love where yeah. you know conventional wisdom would say don't do this but she gives into it and it has it has a good fruition in the end
0: yeah
1: and maybe you could you could another way i suppose of thinking of her her madness might be uh, her sort of foray into the world of breakfast cereal commercials. Yeah. And the way that her manager is kind of using her the way Polonius uses right. Ophelia.
0: Right, for his own ends and, yeah.
1: That might
2: have been, that might have had one of my favorite lines was um, when Rachel McAdams and uh, the guy who plays Jack Crew, or just Kate and Jack, when they, f- they have this very, very explicit, and by explicit, I mean not, you know, profane, but the, they they talk about when they're going to actually have sex uh, in a yes. way that, that couples like normally don't do. But you know, it's 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 kind of endearing in that there's a a puppy love, there's a there's a good a goodness to it, and uh, <clears throat> so that they're finally about to have sex, and they're talking about you know she kind of you know shares her mind about doing commercials, and Jack Cruz says. You know, right when they're getting into it, I that he did an Arby's commercial once, and she says, <laughs> right after I did an Arby's commercial, she says, "Don't ruin this for me." <laughs> just like, just like that dig at like that dig at Arby's <laughs> was really, really funny. Um, and the, and this show, I mean, so here we are. We're, we're talking about all these amazing resonances and the way that uh, Mark McKinney and his and his co writers. Uh, made Hamlet so intelligible with all these parallels, but yet just line after line, don't ruin this for me. I mean, just the the comedic writing and the comedic mm. timing was also just brilliant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought one of the things about the sort of building up to Shakespeare that I found, so we were watching it, you know, six episodes. We were sort of going to space it out. We have a sort of rotation of things we watched before bed and we were going to watch it one after another. And we kept watching pairs of episodes because we, <laughs> we couldn't, couldn't stop. stop. <laughs> and... And one of the things that I thought I realized as we got to the end, because we got to the end and we had only the last one to watch, and I think we made, did we watch three in that night? Possibly. Or, and we, it was certainly too late and we really shouldn't have watched the last one that night. But I couldn't help it because they tease you with the Shakespeare. Like, you know, all the way through, you're getting bits and pieces that they work towards scenes. But again and again and again, the rehearsals are canceled. The uh, rehearsals don't happen. Somebody's not there. You know, you keep or you see the very opening of a a rehearsal and then the end of it. So you see a line here, a line there. And then once or twice, we see an actual full soliloquy, uh, which is great. But you keep not seeing Shakespeare. You know, they talk about it. Uh, You get a little bit of it in that scene where so we haven't talked at all about where he uh, does the business executives um yes. and he typed business executives do Shakespeare. Great bit, yep. yeah. Which is also wonderful. When they're assigning tasks and they say workshops with business executives, and Jeff yes. says, That sounds I'm, ridiculous. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absurd or something absurd, like that. Yeah. yeah. And um and yet he you know, and it is absurd and he sort of makes it out to be absurd even when he's talking to them, and then he nonetheless brings them all to this, you know, to points of tears. And do you know, by the way, that that guy who reads the soliloquy in the scene and who ends up getting the spear carrier part is that one of the it, writers? That, that's the third, the, writers. Writer. So yeah. the third writer. The third writer. I was wondering
2: if he had if he made a cameo, and he ends up kind of tagging along with Jeffrey the rest of the time, yeah. right? Yeah, he goes, yeah. "Fuck, yeah. I love I love this man." He says, "Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah." He's <laughs> totally starstruck by yeah. by theater, and then he ends up being allowed to be a a, a bit a non you know walk on part non-speaking part in the final production of hamlet but uh all the way through you you keep you know they they build up the shakespeare and they give you all these resonances and they give you all these structural and, and they they bring it to light how resonant and important it is but you don't get to see the darn play <laughs> and then finally in the last episode you still don't obviously see the whole play but you see good, chunks, good of chunks of text and you could yeah. you know Finally, see them on stage. Finally, see it. You know, it's like the it's like a tease. It's like a strip show or something like yeah. that. There, it's a strip tease of Shakespeare, and then finally, you get the release of the climax of actually seeing the play. I don't know if I'm exposing too myself <laughs> too much about myself here <laughs> using that metaphor. Shakespeare, but I really could feel anybody? that like. <laughs>
2: no, but, but 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 you but you are right though. So uh, everything is very much about it's about Shakespeare. It's about a relationship with Shakespeare, and. It builds, it builds, it teases, it teases, it cliffhangs, it cliffhangs. Mm-hmm. and when it finally does give you the treat, it happens to be Shakespeare and mm-hmm. the actual the actual text itself and, it, and it's, it's lovely and it's beautiful. And I also noticed too, there were times when Jeffrey would Jeffrey would very he would access his wealth of knowledge about Shakespeare and he would use these mm-hmm. quotes, as points of wisdom and as points of understanding to, to to clarify a crisis in real life, and you know, just like we quote Shakespeare today, or you know, or at least we try to do it. But Jeffrey would actually do it, and then again, like you're saying, it would literally bring Shakespeare to life. Here is Shakespeare's words, you know, over 400 years later, and they're being used to clarify or uh, you know, uh, disentangle yeah. some sort of. Thorny real life matter.
0: Yeah, it became, it, he lived with it and it it becomes integral to how they're all handling life. And I think that's what all these rhythms and resonances and rhymes all the way through of the characters do is they they show you how, you know, how usefully you can look at the world through Shakespeare, how useful a lens it is to help you understand your world. And then when they finally give you the play... You, like Richard, standing in the wings, are like, oh, my God, it it means so much. It works. It has this great meaning as community and as intelligence and psychology and all of those things, because I've already worked through it. It's sort of like the backwards relationship to doing a close reading of Mm. the play with Mm. class. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. You normally start with the play. And then you say, "Now, how does what does this mean? How does it?" But in this way, we keep getting told the meaning, and then finally we get to see the text, and it's very intelligible. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then and then we're not lost in any sense because we've been instructed so clearly in it, and and we care so much, obviously, about the individual people and their journey through it too.
2: Well, that is quite well said.
0: Well, and I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the sort of themes. We've talked a bunch of them, but I think there's a number of themes that the series brings out that also help elucidate some of the themes of, of Shakes of the Hamlet, um, and also just are worth pointing out. So you already talked about the living up t- to yourself mm-hmm. as a sort of real element of Hamlet that is really brought out, because to come back to my usual approach to adaptations of Shakespeare and, and what is their value, I mean, this isn't only an adaptation of Shakespeare, in many ways it isn't an adaptation of Shakespeare, <laughs> But it, it's a meta-adaptation. And I think its value lies in the way it helps us understand Shakespeare. But also in bringing out some of those themes. So it brings up that theme. Other elements?
2: Well, I guess I, I suppose another obvious one is the nature of performance itself.
0: Ah, uh, Yeah, mm-hmm. true.
2: We're, we're living up to ourselves and going in hand with that is performing ourselves as well in the expect the scariness of the expectations the fears of of our fading former glories or our fears of you know not living up to who we think we can be can Mm -hmm. disappear I suppose when we realize that we're just sort of inhabiting a role so the the pressures of it all can begin to slide off her shoulders if we realize, oh, I'm just I'm sort of performing this. So the, you know, the yeah. the the Goffman the approach. And that can go both ways. And then you can easily become more villainous than you'd like to be, uh, you know, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Richard uh, Smith-Jones, Mark McKinney's character. Or you can become liberated by the fact that you can inhabit somebody else's character. Um, so you can live up to yourself by not living up to yourself by performing somebody else. Uh, so the whole the, the theatricality of human behavior, I think, is pretty pretty clearly there. Symbolized also yeah. by the chameleon that's wandering around all the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I like that. That's a that's a good connection. That is
0: good because I was thinking about the chameleon and I was wondering if it was almost too on the nose the idea of, you know, an actress being given a chameleon. Yeah, exact, and Ellen, exactly. And yet Ellen is sort of not a chameleon-like actress. That's not the kind of actress she is she isn't one who disappears into the role mm-hmm. she's very much herself that, and is, yeah, it that's, that
2: is true i like the fact yeah, that the chameleon up. also um the original ophelia the one who overperformed right. it she falls off the stage because the lizard's there and oh the line is um she was startled by a lizard <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and it's the instrument that oliver wells uses to uh, yeah. to <laughs> get the, the revenge same. exactly yeah <laughs> I thought one of them for sure is the coming to terms with mortality. Yes. Right. Which is so important in the Hamlet play. And here it's coming to terms with death, obviously with Oliver Wells and all of the stuff about the skull. I mean, that was an extended version of Hamlet's soliloquy at the grave mm-hmm. where he talks about the yeah. way that all flesh.
2: And the, 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 skull reappears in so many scenes, as I said before, mm-hmm. In some way, Jeffrey keeps chocolates in the the chap of the skull, the, the mandible of it. Um, it's sort of, you know, it's a memento mori, you know, a vessel to serve chocolate. And there's that amazing final scene where the play is about to end. It's coming to its denouement. The play itself is going to die. And hey. Jeffrey remembers, oh my. And he kind of makes a mad dash to find uh, Oliver's skull and you know brings it up through the trap and hands it up through for the you know the act five um york soliloquy uh it's just it's just very well done very nice uh to see Mm -hmm. the their their relationship which was so strained comes to Mm -hmm. uh, comes to its peak comes to its its pitch its life uh in obvious symbol of death uh and that that rhyming or that inversion i suppose uh was quite mm-hmm. well done there
1: and and doesn't it make you wish that all productions of hamlet should list in their uh cast who plays york's skull
2: <laughs> that's a requirement you heard it here first everybody <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> so yes yeah, so coming to terms with the mortality and death I think is you know very nicely brought out and in in a, but transferred into a more modern because we have very different kind of preoccupations or it's expressed in different ways the same preoccupation yep. but you know our, our interaction with dead bodies is very different and Anna
1: is our our sort of stand in for that like yeah. she her the way that she goes through that grieving death process yeah. is, is and so is horrified nice
0: and... by the, she's the one who has to tell him about the last wish yeah. and, and finds it and and yeah, let's just take a moment here. Thank you for bringing her up. I love Anna so much. <laughs> yeah, she was the
2: so the, the secretary. Yeah, and she's. I think she's also one of the writers. I think.
0: Yeah, and yeah, she's just she's so like her sort of trying to hold it together, and then when she curses out Darren, and when she loses <laughs> her, you know, loses her cool about oh, and uh, in, in the same vein, I love the stage manager. Yes, yes. oh, the I'm stage too,
2: manager's is fantastic. Too. Yep. <laughs> But she says, she says, uh, she goes, uh, "Fuck me blue, we're done." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you not hear and, that every day. <laughs> yeah,
0: and her, her, your children, you're all just children <laughs> when she's <was> drunk. <laughs> yep.
2: So then another theme we we talked about it before, but to put a button on it. In terms of its name, the role of art in our lives, because you have, yes, you've got the theme of celebrity, and mm-hmm. you know that's Jack Crew to some degree, that's Oliver Wells to some degree, that's even mm-hmm. Jeffrey himself because he got famous mm-hmm. off of his own Hamlet, and all obviously, uh, the the town, the fictional town itself. And then contrast that with Jeffrey's, you know, in the raw theater, and then Jack's sort of metanoia when he just wants to actually do Shakespeare because it's illuminating and it's it's good to do in its own right. So, Mm -hmm. and then obviously the business interests and Holly sees it as. What's that line in the beginning? Uh, Richard calls um, the Swan Theater, uh, whatever the theater is called, um, art skewed commercial ventures, (laughs) which is yes. And this is, what, 2003 this was made? That, that phrasing yeah. of, like, art skewed sounds like Silicon <laughs> Valley speak right now. I mean, just, yeah. it really made me feel like this was ahead of its time there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to definitely say that, like, we have the art versus business, but in in another way, we also have sort of intellect and art versus physicality and populism. So, like, they pair this sort of intellectual elements of consent and, and emotional, too, but against... Richard and Holly and their sex, you know, mm. yes, we do see the the young lovers having sex, but the, the strong physical attraction of, of Holly and Richard and they're sort of can't keep their hands off each other and her coarseness about it, like yeah. her sort of, all right, let's uh, let's let's do this. And then I've got, you know, I've got Pilates in the morning, so i got to <laughs> get going and all of that stuff. She's very physical. Um versus the intellect and not, not to say that you can't be that physicality is bad but there's this kind of contrast like what's the tension between the two of them mm-hmm. yeah l- a lust say-
2: versus a, a lust versus a love too or sex as a, a mm-hmm. me uh, you know a means versus an end so i think with the, yeah. the richard holly it was more so of an end of gratification whereas with jack and kate it was much more of you know, of, of an experience.
0: Yeah, it was part of the developing of a community and closeness between them, whereas Holly and Richard are not sharing. They're not becoming closer by doing it. They're just using each other for basic ends. Right. And then the the, the art versus populism, of, of course, of Sh- Shakespeareville versus, right. you know, what the, what May's vision for the old-fashioned approach to the theater is. Um, and then you also see Darren, who's so intellectual yeah. about his art, and, and very not populist.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, almost uh almost annoyingly so, being difficult for the sake of being difficult.
0: Oh, very annoyingly so, I would say yeah. yes. And but and I think the thing is that that's, you know, that's very clear in the show. I think it's there in Hamlet, maybe not art versus business exactly, but we certainly have the intellect versus physical yes. in Hamlet, yeah. right? That's a big element of his relationship with Gertrude for instance and even with Ophelia, like he can't it's one of the ways that the tensions they have is whether it's a physical love or lust or you know what's going on, and and then also definitely we talked about this a lot when we talked about the brana of how Hamlet thinks he's smarter than everybody else, yeah, and has you know an, an appreciation for intellect and is you know when he plays with Rosencrantz and gildenstern or Polonius and he's and and the pra- there we talked about um, pragmatism versus idealism that Claudius and Polonius are in many ways very pragmatic they they rule and that hamlet's failure as a as a leader is his lack of pragmatism right. yeah and you know you see that with jeffrey his yes. theater right is theater sans argent, theater without money yeah that's the name of the theater, <laughs> the theater. company at the beginning of the <laughs> of the thing and uh you know i mean yes it's pure art and isn't this noble but it also like you do need it to have doesn't the really side. work yeah. you, know, you can't actually do it
2: yep you need to have a space you need you need to be able to pay rent to have a space i do love though it, that that his um his his antics him chaining himself to the door was breaking news in that small town uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny
0: though so he was in toronto i think we were supposed to weren't we were supposed to see yeah, his I theater was in his toronto i think was so in but toronto, yeah it yeah. would still be breaking news in toronto <laughs> Even you know so we're
2: talking about the the i'd be curious to learn more about what made this so canadian to you guys because i think a lot of it uh, was probably lost on me but what was very clear to me was how well holly day or played by jennifer mm-hmm. and how american she was in terms of yes. her you know can do domineering she was you know her kind of mm-hmm. even the way she would like eat eat food and talk with her mouth open and would always be on to the next thing and can never really be in the moment she was she was such a good two thousand. Well, not just two thousand three, two thousand seventeen. American of there's kind of a kind of a rudeness about it. You know, it was it was it was, it was yeah. quite it was quite well done.
0: Glad to hear you say that it wasn't so that it wasn't too paro- parodic because I sort of felt that she might be a little bit too extreme. She's very much a Canadian perception of America. Yeah. The combination of successful, highly successful, uh, highly pragmatic, um, very manipulative entirely false please don't don't take this as seen the wrong way i just realized i just (laughs)
2: i'm an american who 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 lives in ireland now so you know i'm i'm not there for a reason
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and of course i'm not trying to describe actual americans i'm describing the sort of canadian stereotype stereotype of the ugly american and and it involves this that 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 sort of false um, bonhomie the the great like ah, we're all friends together. You know, they're smiling, smiling. I can smile and smile and be a villain, Mm -hmm. obviously. Uh,
2: Even the way she would approach her board meetings, the the way that she would deliver her plan was this total... I was really impressed with the way the writers were able to express the way that American business people can package a bunch of bullshit to, you know, yeah. a, 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 an art board. Mm-hmm. And, but also the way that she takes over everything too. Oh, here we have this, you know, go get it, American taking over a, a, a you mm-hmm. know, a theater production in Canada. Just yeah. <laughs> it's quite it's quite the
0: good. The Canadian self parody of. The Canadians are too innocent and naive to realize what's happening, too nice to fight back. So May is paralyzed by her sort of politeness and yeah. her niceness, To doesn't even realize, you know, realizes eventually she's being stabbed in the back, but doesn't, isn't up to the challenge of dealing with her in the same political terms. And uh, everybody else is too polite. And Richard is too nice to quite realize where it's going. And yeah.
1: The the nice thing about the the Canadian American relationship is it's it's also figured in Kate and Jack.
0: That's true, that's true. And that so we don't true. get yeah.
1: just a one stereotype
0: of you know American. We don't only have the Amer- ugly American.
2: Yeah, he was an he was an interesting he was an interesting portrait of a, a Hollywood superstar because he he had his fawning crowds, but at the same time he was kind of not a big deal. I don't know if that was a commentary on, you know, Canadians kind of not fawning over every American actor or whether that just was just a a dimension that didn't need to be explored as much. Uh, But he he didn't really play like a superstar.
0: I think that was because they wanted him to be sympathetic. But yeah, if he'd come in as the like, I'm God's gift kind of thing. We couldn't have liked him, and Kate couldn't have liked him. I think even and, more.
1: And it was it was so genuine, you know. When Kate asked him, "Why do you want to come to Canada to to play Hamlet?" and he says, "What actor wouldn't want to play Hamlet?" Mm-hmm. You know, mm. and it's so genuine. It's yeah. this is the best part. Yeah. Any it should be any actor. So what ambition. you see
0: what you see in him is someone who's yes a star, and and he kind of gets this. We you know he went through commercials, he did all that stuff, and he's fully aware of what kind of star he is. When he says, "I get all these scripts, and they just want me to be." an action guy and all this, but he underneath it, he is an actor. He wants to be an actor. He wants to act, not just be a star. And so, and I guess the, the, the realistic part of that is that that is the kind of actor who would come to Stratford to play in Shakespeare or Mm -hmm. to New Burbage in this case, you know, like one who really was only a star to be a star wouldn't commit to a theatrical run in a small festival town in Canada, no matter how prestigious the, the event, you know, they wouldn't do it. So, it would have to be someone who has a genuine love of acting for him to be doing it in the first place. Mm-hmm.
2: Like Hamlet, he has a genuine love of acting. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, it's it really is quite impressive. I almost want to say that the sh- so earlier in the earlier taping, I had said I think that Slings and Arrows understands our relationship to Hamlet very well and Even this conversation, the way that we're able to tease out so many layers of meaning and the way it reflects Hamlet is just further testament to how well this show understands Hamlet and and how obsessed we are culturally with it and how how, how much Hamlet defines the kind of meta-theatricality of of our relationship to art. Uh, God, it's impressive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, I've got several other things that I want to say too. We don't have to talk about all of them in detail, but I would say that the other ones um, that are so Hamletian are the, the fear of action, and the dangers of inaction. Right. 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 So Jeffrey is ta- is caught in that pos- position, and so is Jack, and so is Ellen, like so is Je- uh, so is Oliver even at the beginning, fear of taking the drastic action of taking the step of committing yourself to do what you said you're going to do or what somebody wants you to do, but when you don't. The things that fall apart and the things that go wrong and the and the and the betrayals of self that come from inaction mm-hmm. the ways you end up not being who you want to be you know oliver at the beginning has been trapped by inaction yeah he hasn't taken the action that he knows he should take but he's scared of and then he's literally killed by it yeah and then that, that sort of um tension between self-confidence and self-loathing yes you know again jack crew has that he's He's got the confidence of being the star, but he fears in the heart of him that he is nothing, that he's no good. And then Ellen hates herself for things she's done, hates who she has become and is trying to get out of it. But at the same time is this blithely, self-confident, arrogant. <laughs> sorry, 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 I'm late. Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> you know, um, Yeah, she's the star. She wants the attention. She craves yeah. the, you know, she. So she's got that. And, and Jeffrey, who has sort of, in some ways, sublime self-confidence. You know, in some ways, he's an arrogant prick. He totally thinks he understands Shakespeare. He understands art, and everyone else is a commercial sellout. But he's also, you know, plagued obviously by deep self-loathing mm. and and fear of himself, and thinks that he is in the end totally unable to do anything.
2: I mean, definitely, when 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 Jeffrey was up against Darren Nichols and his absurd vision mm. of Hamlet, you, I definitely got the sense that Jeffrey felt that he knew hamlet better but i felt more so jeffrey was hamlet but he was trapped in himself like hamlet was yeah. so
0: yeah no that's probably fair i mean you're right he's probably i'm i may misspoken saying that he knew he felt he knew shakespeare better than anyone else i think that that's untrue because i think he would definitely feel that there's shakespeare is always a, a progress towards understanding i think he feels he understands art Better than most of the other. That I would definitely agree with,
2: and there is definitely, there's no doubt, a narcissism in the fact that he's so caught up in himself that he doesn't stop to consider how his actions are affecting other people. And when he, when he did before he kind of came around, he would stage things like ridiculous duels and
0: and things like that. Yeah. In the, I mean, she's theatrical too, and it's all played a little bit for laughs. But when Ellen says, "I tried to kill myself the night you left," you know, and and he says I, I didn't know that and you know he didn't know it there's no reason he would know it but on the other hand he didn't know it because he never thought to find out and he you know he was angry at her and he felt that he was the betrayed one and so he never and of course that's a you know a, a reference to Ophelia and it's as I said played for laughs and that she throws yep. herself off a bridge into a pond <laughs> right deep yeah on but but still I mean there is a I, you know I think we're meant to feel for Ellen there like she's saying you your actions had my actions had consequences yes but your actions had consequences too and you never stopped to think about them you never stopped to think about what it meant for me I saw you at the door and you didn't come in like that whole scene was very affecting you know everybody's to blame and nobody's to blame that kind of thing but it's that kind of arrogance or as you say narcissism not not an irrecoverable one not one we can't love him through but a real one that is is very much in keeping with what Hamlet is. I did think
2: that Jeffrey had the best acting voice out of everybody there. He he was the most theater yeah. theater to me. He could he could he could use his diaphragm. It was quite
0: it was quite <laughs> impressive. Yeah, he has the carriage of and the performance of a Shakespearean yeah. actor and the lineage really.
2: too. I think in real life he's he's done quite a bit of Shakespeare. If I don't.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he has. But yeah, so those I think those were the themes that I thought. Uh, oh, and the other one, of course, is loyalty and betrayal. Right. Yes. Right. Loyalty and betrayal are really important to Hamlet on several levels, like with a lot of different relationships, and it's all the way through. Yeah. yeah. The season as well. So.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting how when Oliver does finally reach out to Jeffrey, that it mm-hmm. it's that that causes his death. You'd mentioned that before, and, and that that has a that has a complex feeling about it when he does finally granted he's drunk. But he does reach out, um, and he dies as a result of it. Not quite sure what to make of that. Uh, in, in a good way, not sure what to make of it, uh, because as a result, his ghost, by being dead, they reconcile, in a way, through, through his ghost. He dies because, even though he's yes. reaching out, he doesn't take responsibility for betraying his
0: friend. But on the other hand, in a sense, uh, it's Jeffrey who kills him by not being willing to, to forgive him or whatever. I'm, I'm not saying he should, but... You know, just from a plot perspective in that sense. So that's why he's haunting Geoffrey. Right. He's, Geoffrey is responsible for his death, in a sense, or he sp- needs to avenge him. Yes. You know, I mean, it's what Hamlet's ghost wants of Hamlet, is to avenge his betrayal. So if we, we take the parallel, then Oliver must be haunting Geoffrey to get him to avenge him. Well, what's the vengeance? You know, he wasn't murdered. The only betrayal is Geoffrey's betrayal? We
2: do have the flashback where after that sublime performance, mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. three of them are, um, yes. you know, rousing about, and Jeffrey and Ellen go off, they pair off, and Oliver mm-hmm. feels left behind, and mm-hmm. that triad gets broken up, and you Oliver You see feels of yeah. the instability of that
0: relationship, yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, if you follow that through, then the revenge, therefore why does he finally go away he finally goes away because yes they reconcile yes jeffrey takes you know responsibility for his role in the problem and also oliver takes responsibility for his but also they come to the true you know this true performance of hamlet that makes up for the betrayal that oliver has been doing they rescue the festival ever since yeah from the betrayal of oliver's betrayal of the of art so that's what frees him to go on mm-hmm. it's not just the, per- the personal reconciliation but this reconciliation of their art
2: the true performance as you were saying before the true mm-hmm. performance of hamlet for them is true to themselves so you know mm-hmm. i had said oh jack cruise soliloquies well, well everybody was rapt because of them they weren't as i would expect him to be profound but you had you know you mm-hmm. both had made a great point They were very naturalistic and they were true to Jack. And their performance of Mm -hmm. Hamlet was no frills. It was pretty bare bones, but it was true to them. And that's when they hit. Is when they stopped trying to live up to something is when they lived Mm -hmm. up to something.
0: They no longer were trying to live up to the previous performance. They were trying to do Hamlet justice. And as they could approach Hamlet now, each of them as themselves now approaching Hamlet and approaching Shakespeare with what they could bring to it. And not trying to be anything else.
2: As Polonius said to Laertes when he's shipping off to the continent, <laughs> "To thine known self be true."
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, I think that's probably a good note, that's, to, end that's on. Quite a good note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. Again, we'll leave a discussion of what we're going to do next. So we'll come back to that, and we'll let everyone know what we're going to watch once we've decided it. And in the meantime everyone find a way to watch slings and arrows (laughs) yes we 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 should get
1: on to the producers and get them to make it more widely widely available available.
0: we don't care what you have to do just find a way
2: (laughs) the show's the thing
1: (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) all right goodbye
1: bye 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 thanks for listening to as we like it You can find more episodes and more information about the show at TheExtracurricular.com and find more about Avon and Mark's other projects at Alliterative.net.
0: If you enjoyed today, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher, as your five stars can really help us reach new listeners. You can reach us all on Twitter. I'm at Alliterative. I'm at Avon Sarah, A-V-E-N-S-A-R-A-H.
1: And I'm at John Vox, J-O-N-V-O-X.